Amen. Amen. Somebody say that God is awesome. He is awesome. You know, I'm thankful for all that God has done in my life, and I know that you are too. And that we're going to continue this morning on in our study of the book of Malachi. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful book. And I know that, uh, you know, this morning uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, what, what do we do, you know, when God's love seems to fail? Like, uh, you know, with the circumstances around us or, or those kind of things. And I, I just want you to know that uh, this, is, this is what is next in this passage. It's, it's, you know, it's nice when you can preach and you can preach on the, the passage that you like to preach on. And it's nice when you preach and you preach on the, the, the passages that you would like to avoid. Okay. But um, this is one of those where it's like, it's a difficult passage, but stick with me. And we're going to see what God's Word has to say to us. And the fact that God is awesome this morning, I love, I love, I love being with Memorial Baptist Church. And I, I, I know that God is in this. I hope this morning that this will be a breath of fresh air to you. I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. I hope that it, it will uh, just speak to your heart this morning. You know, when all around us things are challenging, when all around us things are sometimes distressing or uh, even depressing, we, we need some good news. We need to hear a word from the Lord. And, you know, it's, uh, I just want to ask, are you ready for the truth? Because, because God's word is truth. And, um, you know, when, when we go through difficult times, I mean, what causes us to ask question, you know, to, to question God's personal love for us. I mean, could he love us any more than he has already demonstrated? You know, when we think about that, you know, why do we confuse our getting our way with God's love? We kind of confuse that sometimes. In book of Malachi in chapter one, uh, God affirmed his love for Israel. And, and he says there in verse two, I have loved you. I have loved you. When, when the creator of the universe says, I have loved you, you know that you have been loved. But because of their troubles, God's people, they doubted his love. And they said, in what way or how have you loved us? And God's answer to their question could be summarized in, in kind of three statements. He says, look back to the past, look up to the present, and look forward to the future. And I think we need to hear that. That, that God has loved us, he continues to love us, and he will love us. And, and I, I know that this, this, you know, when we think about this, I mean, consider these, these statements, these challenges that God said, if you want evidence of my love, look at your past. Amen. Look where you came from. Look at your past. And I want to read in Malachi chapter one, verses two through five, and just four verses here. And God's word says this, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance 
for the jackals of the wilderness. Through Edom, excuse me, though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down and men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I ask that you would just show us the truth of your word. Father, show us how you have loved us. Father, that you would just your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to see the great love that you have for us. Father, thank you so much for all that you do every single day. I pray, Father, that you would just guide our time together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, to remind them of his love for them, he contrasts Jacob, the Israelites, with his twin brother Esau, the Edomites, the Israelites whom he has chosen, the Edomites who he has rejected. And I think this is huge because Jacob and his offspring, they received the blessing of the Lord, they received an inheritance, they received land and they received this inheritance from the Lord. Esau, on the other hand, it says, his mountains made a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. In other words, you're getting nothing. Jacob, I am blessing. Esau, you're getting nothing. And, and you know, we, we, we feel like sometimes that, that God's love seems to be failing. And when we feel that way, we need to remember that God chose us that we have been chosen by God. You know, the Lord reminded Israel of that, of his love expressed in his choice, his choice of them. And I think this is big, and I'm gonna try to unpack this, and like I said, this is what's next in this passage in, 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 in Malachi. But let me say, I realize that the doctrine of God's sovereign election, his choice, God's choice causes many folks to struggle. And and I've wrestled through uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, dealing with this in, in, in Romans 9. And not only Paul, but also Jesus plainly taught this doctrine. And, and it's all through the Bible. And I've read books about it and articles attacking the doctrine. In my opinion, the authors sometimes seem to fit God into their own logic, if that's possible. Rather than submitting to the scriptures and what the scriptures plainly say. See, sometimes we like to dodge those things that we don't understand or, or shy away from them. And, and, and my encouragement to you today is um, just, just go with it, wrestle with it. Let God speak to you and let God be God. I mean, God would not have mentioned it so often in Scripture if it was not useful for our growth to understand that God is sovereign above all of the earth. (laughs) See, this doctrine, it affects how you view God. 
It affects how you view others. It affects how you view sin. And it also affects how you view salvation. And in the context of of God's choice, in the context of election, Paul says this in Romans 9, verse 11 through 13. He says this. He says, for though the twins, Jacob and Esau, okay, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand not because of works but because of him who calls it was said to her Rebecca the older will serve the younger just as it is written Jacob I loved but Esau I hated oh frail children of dust Oh, how frail we are. And we can be such hypocrites because we will justify until our dying day the good reasons why we are holding hatred towards another believer. But how dare God make a choice over someone else? We think it messes with our sense of fairness. We say, how could God do that? But let's not forget, we are frail children of dust. He is God. He is supreme. He is sovereign over all of his creation. And he can do as he chooses. This term hate, it's not used the way we commonly think of the word hate. I mean, here the Lord refers to his preference of Jacob over Esau. His preference of Jacob over Esau. He chose Jacob rather than Esau. And likewise, his love for us is demonstrated by the fact that he chose us in Christ. He chose us in Christ to be his people, even as he chose Jacob to be his people, the Israelites. See, in my humble opinion, those who fight against this doctrine are are chafing against God's right to be God. I mean, he's the potter. He's the potter and we're the clay and he can mold and shape us any way he chooses. It would be ridiculous for the clay to have a problem with the potter because the potter is shaping that vessel for whatever he sees fit. And I think this is, this is big because, you know, you, you, can't, you can soften it by saying that the word hate means to, to maybe to love less, if you like. But the fact remains that God chose Jacob and he rejected Esau. And what it says there in Romans 11, uh, chapter 9 is that for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad... It's not because of what they did. It's not because of what they said. It's not because of anything on them. But it says, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. God chose Jacob and he rejected Esau. We just have to deal with that. We have to reconcile that. As Paul points out when he cited that, you know, um, God didn't base his choice on anything that he foresaw in either one of these men. Rather, God did it so that his purpose, according to his choice, would stand. (laughs) This is my purpose, and I choose this. 
God not only chose Israel as a nation to serve him, but he also chose individuals to save as a display of his sovereign grace and love, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6. Now, if you want to grade this on a curve, okay, Esau was a better man than Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver who conned his dad into out of the, the family blessing. And Esau got angry about that, but he, he got over it, and later he forgave Jacob, but both men were sinners. I don't understand why he chose Jacob over Esau, but he did. God chose Jacob, he rejected Esau, and as Paul makes clear, God did that before the twins were born and, had, and before they had done anything good or bad. See, God's choice wasn't based on anything in them, but only on his choice. He is sovereign over all of creation. See, I know you're thinking, probably right now you're thinking, but that's not fair. Esau didn't have a fair shot. Well, Paul knew that you would think that, and so he deals with that objection further on in chapter 9, verses 14 through 18, where he says in verse 15, he says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, God is free to show mercy to whomever he chooses. He's free to show mercy and compassion to whomever he chooses, but he's also free to harden whomever he chooses. See, God, you need to understand this, God would be perfectly just in condemning the entire human race because we all are sinners. We all fall short of his glory. And he would be perfectly just in condemning the entire human race because he doesn't owe mercy to anyone. He doesn't owe mercy to anyone. I know you're still thinking, but if God only shows mercy to some and, and, and if no one can come to him unless he shows them mercy, then how can he hold the others accountable? And again, the apostle Paul anticipates our question. And he answers it in effect by saying this, this is my paraphrase, you don't have a right to ask the boss this question. You don't have a right to ask the king this question. You don't have a right to ask the creator of the universe this question. So zip it, lock it, and put it in your pocket. Who are you to question God? And that's what he says. That's why I said earlier, I feel like those who oppose this may, may need to submit to God's word. We may not understand it, we may not agree with it, but we have to submit to the word of God. It's primarily a matter of understanding, not a matter of understanding as much as it is a matter of submitting to him as creator. And, and even though it may be difficult, don't dodge it. Jump into it, get to the bottom of it, find out what you can, wrestle with it, asking God to give you a submissive heart to understand his word. You see, those who deny it, they exalt proud sinners by making humanity's free will the determining factor. I mean, think about it. Understand this, God's word exalts God. 
God's word exalts God and humbles proud sinners by making God sovereign. He is over all. You can't argue with that. It is his word that exalts him and humbles us as sinners. So with submissive hearts, we we consider how we all have a bent towards being indifferent toward God, toward his love. And what happens is, is, is we get used to hearing about his love. We, we get used to experiencing his love. And, and it's, it's something because what happens is over time, we get familiar with it and then we just kind of the, the passion goes out of it. And we just assume, we begin to take God for granted. And we just assume that it's always gonna be the same. But here's what happens. We wander away from God. Like the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, heaven above. I mean, we're prone to wander away. We do that. This burden, this oracle, this prophecy of Malachi was to Israel. (laughs) A people familiar with the things of God. And here is exactly the danger that that they were facing and that we face. They were born into a covenant community. That was all they knew was this covenant with almighty God. Their whole lives from infancy on were centered on their religion. And maybe like me, you were raised in the church. And it's easy for us who were raised in the church to shrug our shoulders when we hear the gospel. Because we've heard it so much. We've heard it. We hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And you know what we do? We start yawning. But you know what we get excited about? Man, what about that ball game last night? Man, it was 84 to 6. Go crew. We get excited about that. But we don't get excited about the love that God has for us that he did when he sent his son to die for us. You see, our love has grown indifferent. It's grown cold. See, we need to remember the urgency of the message that God has entrusted to us. He's given us the gospel. He's given us his word. See, this was the perspective of Malachi's readers. As they looked at their circumstances, things were not going the way they expected. So they got discouraged. They'd been back in the land about 125 years. The temple had been built about 100 years before that, but before this. And, and you know, Nehemiah had come and he had built the wall around the city. And there was about 100,000 people living in Israel at that time, but they didn't have an army to defend against their hostile neighbors. They also had a Persian king and his governor who still had his thumb on them. And to boot, their crops were not producing the abundance that they thought because of a drought. You see, many of them were probably thinking, well, if if this is the promised land, I'd hate to be in the unpromised land. And in contrast to their difficulties, you think about this. They had messages from the prophets. 
Those Old Testament prophets, they talked about God's retribution, his punishment for sin, but they also talked about a restorative coming into that, the restorative justice of God where his, he would bless them that their, 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 their crops would grow abundant and they would produce a lot and the, the people would dwell securely under uh, the reign of Messiah. They had this vision in their mind of all this stuff. The other nations would come to Jerusalem as the center of the earth. But none of this was happening. It wasn't happening. And then along comes Malachi. And he says, God loves you. And he has a plan for your lives. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your lives. And they say, oh, come on. What are you, what are you talking about? How, how does God love us? And like Israel, we will grow indifferent to God's great love for us if we focus on the difficulty of our circumstances rather than on God's purposes. You see, they took their eyes off the ball. They took their eyes off of what was truly important and they began to bemoan their situation and where they were and what was going on. And if we focus on our problems, they will consume us. You know I'm right. If we think about God's purpose to extend his kingdom over all the earth and the fact that he has saved us to be a part of that great purpose, then we will gain perspective that we need. That's why Paul, no matter what he went through, I like to call him danger man because he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with rods, he was flogged, he was whipped. But even in all of his distress and trials, this is what he said. He said, he lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And he said that with joy. See, we grow indifferent when we forget the urgency of his message, of God's message. And when we focus on our circumstances rather than his purpose to glorify himself through the gospel. And I draw this next point from the whole book. And as I said, these people had not turned defiantly against God. They were still worshiping in the temple. They were still offering sacrifices. They went through all the rituals prescribed by Moses. But understand this, Israel drifted into routine religion instead of maintaining a vital personal relationship with a loving God. God says, I have loved you. And they drifted into a routine religion instead of that vital personal relationship with God. They followed God's program. They did what he told them to do, but they lost touch with the, the personality, the person of God. Oh, it is so easy for us to do this. We can do church. We go, we sit, we hear, we leave, and we remain unchanged by an almighty loving God. Their religious observance had blinded them to their true condition. And so when God confronted them through Malachi, they responded, well, how has God loved us? Tell me how God has loved us. You know, I, I accepted Christ as my savior when I was seven years old. 
Seven. Seven years old. For 50 years, I have since had the opportunity to walk with God. This last week, my wife and I celebrated 35 years of marriage. I have been loved by God and I have been loved by my wife. So listen, as someone talking with a little bit of experience, I've been around the block a time or two. And my message to you is this, it's easy to drift into a routine relationship with God. It's easy to put God on the back burner and just do life and have a little bit of God but that's not what he calls us to. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God. Can you say that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, it's easy for us to drift into this routine relationship with God, just like it's easy to become routine in our marriage. We know what's expected of us. We know the task. We know what that's like. And and, and anybody that's been married any length of time knows what I'm talking about. Because it's easy to get into a routine in our marriage. It's easy for us to get into a routine with God. But I believe that God calls us to more than that. See, I don't want a functional relationship with God. I want a vibrant, passionate relationship with God. I want a vibrant, passionate relationship with my wife. I don't want it just to be a functional marriage. I want to love her and I want her to love me. And I want to love God and I want him to love me. But for some reason... It seems like maybe the passion of love has has all leaked out. You know, think about this. I recently heard a guy on the radio say that he likes to make his goodbye kisses to his wife last at least 10 seconds. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that guy. We all need to be that passionate in our relationship with God. To be able to sit and be and just just soak it in our relationship with God. You know, when you feel like God's love seems to be failing, remember that you've been chosen by God. But also remember that he has preserved you. I mean, Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, they were destroyed because of their sin But however, Jacob's descendants, the Israelites, they were spared. They were preserved. And by Malachi's time, they had been protected by God for over 1,400 years. Just because he loved them. And in a similar way, we who deserve God's wrath have been preserved. You know, for reasons I cannot explain, God poured out his grace on America. From our founding fathers, he has poured his grace out on America. 
for reasons I cannot explain, where despite our many horrible sins, the gospel has been widely proclaimed since our nation's founding. And if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, he saved you so that you would proclaim his excellencies among the nations. His purpose is that his name would be great among the nations. Uh, Malachi 1 verse 11 says, says it twice in there. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We've been chosen. We've been preserved so that we can proclaim his excellencies. And lastly, I would say this, when you feel like God's love seems to be failing, remember that you have been made useful by God. I mean, consider God's plan. He chose Israel not just to bless them, not just to preserve them, but so they would be a light to the nations. They were a testimony of God's saving grace. And he also made us useful to serve his eternal purpose, not because we are worthy, but because he loves us. So I ask you this morning, is your heart passionate? Is it passionate to see our Lord glorified beyond the borders of our circle of believers? To those out there maybe who have never heard the gospel, I mean, look back. Look back in your own life to God's blessings and remember how much his love for you has been demonstrated. I mean, the distressing circumstances today, they don't mean that God's love is failing. He is still on his throne. He is still sovereign. You know, when I was a kid, I had two older and taller and stronger brothers. I was the young one. I was the baby of the family. And you know, when it, when it came to playing football on the corner lot on Saturday, I always wanted to go play, even though I was the shortest person there. I wanted to go play with the big boys. But I didn't really have a lot to contribute to the teams. But when my brother was one of the captains, when my brother was one of the captains, I really hoped he would pick me. Because, you know, with Rudy-like determination, I would get out there and give it my best and do everything I could not to disappoint him for picking me. He didn't pick me because of my athletic ability, but he picked me because he loved me. He chose me. He chose me. And so with everything that I had, I believed that I had a purpose for me to fulfill because he chose me to be on his team. And I never wanted to disappoint him. I never wanted to let him down because he chose me out of his love for me. And so this morning, if your heart is indifferent to God's love, think about how amazing it is that God chose you in love and he has a purpose for you to fulfill in his great plan of glorifying his name among the nations. See, so understand that love is the only thing that transforms the human heart. 
Love is the only thing that transforms the human heart. It's the highest motivation known to humanity is love. I mean, we think fear, we think anger, we think intimidation, threat, punishment are going to lead people to love. But in the history of humanity, that has never worked. We can never lead people to the highest level of motivation by teaching them the lowest. God always and forever models the highest. And our task, according to Ephesians 5, is merely to imitate God. Be like God in this. Love. You know, Peter cautions us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. He says, make certain about his calling and choosing you. If you're not sure whether he has chosen you as a sinner, you need to cry out to him for mercy. I mean, come to Jesus for eternal life. I love this because in John chapter six, Jesus said, all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Maybe you're here this morning and you're sure of his calling. You know that you belong to him. The question I have for you is, are you loving well? Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your mercy. Father, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful for it. Father, I pray that even now that you would transform our hearts by your great love. Father, we are guilty of pulling you down to our level, trying to make you fit in a box because of our own insecurities, because of our own things that that we um, deal with. Father, we, we think that you are like us, but Father, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. They're so much higher. Father, we don't understand how you could give your son for us. Father, that that he was crucified and died to pay the penalty for my sin. Father, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Father, for choosing me. Thank you for choosing each one of us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would examine our hearts And see where our love for you has grown cold, has grown indifferent. Father, maybe we've we've questioned things and, and Father, we've grown indifferent saying, well, how have you loved us? But I pray, Father, that you would return us to our first love. God, that we would have the joy of our salvation. Father, that we would have the excitement 
of knowing that the God of the universe, the, the, the sovereign, the king of all kings, loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And he has chosen us to proclaim his excellencies to everyone around us. Father, I pray that that love would be evident in our lives. Father, that that love would melt our stone-cold hearts. And God, that we would be forever changed because of your love. Transform us as we stand before you, as we worship you. Transform our hearts into useful vessels that you can use. Father, we love you. We praise you. Guide us as we continue to seek you. In Jesus' name.